Hello and welcome to the June edition of the Nerds Who Haunted Themselves podcast. I'm Stuart Lorraine. Uh, I'm Andy Hanks, as usual. And we are back again. This is getting regular, regular now. People are going to start expecting this kind of shit from us. Quite the all brand it is. Uh, of podcasts. It's like we are regular. It reminds me when I worked at HMV um, for selling the loyalty card thing. One of my manager's tactics was to ask customers if they were regular. <laughs> Which I always thought could backfire horribly. <laughs> but yes. Um, going to go slightly different this month. We're going to split it into two. We're going to be interesting. Yes. We're, yeah, we're going to be interesting. We're going to be entertaining. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, don't go up for that. Let's not build it up too much. It'll be the usual inane shite you've come, become used to. Well, obviously you've come back, so you like it. Yeah, exactly, so... <laughs> Either that or there's just every month 30 different people are just kind of like, what is this? Oh, shit. <laughs> Putting people off one person at a time. Or we're just picking on people with severe memory problems. <laughs> I don't think of it. Oh, crap. But yeah, so um, yeah, we are back. We're going to do it slightly differently. We're going to do the nerd news segment and then have the panel in this one. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll be back with like our editorial topic kind of one. Uh, yeah. Where we, where we talk about a specific thing. So rather than giving you a three hour one to try and get through, so you have to drive up to Scotland and back people just to make complained. it through. Have they? Yeah. Who's com- people complain to you? Because it's too bloody long. I skip past all the bits where Stuart talks. <laughs> Your mum is vicious. Hi, Craig. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I see. It's like that, is it? Well. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say hi to Chris as well because he'll listen to this. Oh, yeah. cool. not two people. Listen. Two people. Two, two people. regulars. Yeah. Do they do they owe you money and they just listen? Basically, they feel sorry for me to try and get the debt cleared off. Pretty much. So I haven't got your money this month, but I did listen to your podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I feel really bad trying to fucking down their door. You know what I mean? <laughs> it does make it tougher to break their fingers and toes when they're absolutely. But anyway, yeah. So we're, there's not really a lot of nerd news to talk about this month that I've noticed. It's all been a little bit quiet. Um, it's always there's a political thing going on. Nothing to do with politics. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, something or other but yeah so people keep posting shit through my door are you, are you those in Gryffindor slivering uh, I'm probably going to go Ravenclaw to be honest I know oh, it's a wasted vote but yeah absolutely I know it's just throwing your vote away mm-hmm. but but yes yeah, so yeah I tend to wait till I get there and just look for a name I like eedy meedy mighty boat well actually this year I'm probably going to vote for the guy who looks like my father-in-law Theresa May yes <laughs> Oh dear! And on that bombshell. So yeah, let's start with sort of the lighter news. So uh, Batman's proposing to Catwoman. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that one. Yeah, no, no, this isn't in order. Thank <laughs> God for that. Yeah. So the lighter news. <laughs> yeah, the lighter news. Batman's proposing to Catwoman in the comic. Yeah, I read that today. I've got no real opinion on it to be honest. I just threw it in there so people know we do talk about comics. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it's all right. You know, I mean. How are they going to do it? Are they going to do it where, do you reckon, spoiler alert, well, I say spoiler alert, I haven't got a clue, but do you reckon they're going to kill Catwoman off and then he's going to get revenge? Do you think that... I don't know. I mean, it's not going to be a permanent thing. Of course it is. It never is. It's comic books. Plus, I mean, the only marriage that stuck was Lois and Clark, and then they did away with that in Rebirth. And then exactly the same with Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Although they've now brought it back with bringing back Lois and Clark. Mm. Yeah, same with Peter Parker and Mary Jane. So, but yeah, it's a... I don't know, it's, yeah, different, I suppose, but, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, no real opinion on it, I don't so, read yeah. Batman comics anymore, unfortunately, so, mm. I sort of dropped off around the 
point you jumped on for a bit, the court vowels and all that stuff. I sort of lost interest in Batman comics then, unfortunately. Mm. Which everyone tells me is when it got good, but I never liked the idea that Bruce Wayne's parents' murder was tied to a deeper plot. I always liked that it was a senseless crime. That was the whole thing about it. That was isn't that more or less the same in um, in the first Batman movie? No, it wasn't a deep plot. It was um, the Joker. They tied it round to the Joker, for, which for a f- purposes of a film kind of works because it gives you a. Is it Jack Napier? Jack Napier. Hmm. So that's the other thing. Apparently, they're going to be revealing the Joker's name in the comic. Oh really? Apparently, but again, it'll probably just get retconned out of thing again at some point. So, it's that, again... Has Joker's name been revealed in Gotham? I don't think so. I don't think they've revealed a proper Joker. I've given up, largely given up on Gotham, mainly because it's not been on telly and I've not Mm. sought it out anywhere to watch it. But yeah, so there's that. And um, Ghostbusters days tomorrow, which will hopefully be the day this goes up, the 8th of June. So there was a little bit of Ghostbusters news. I don't know, maybe that's when the film first came out. Oh, right, so it's not like a, It's not like the Alien Day, you know, which was... Oh, Can we edit this bit yeah. in? I don't know what it is now. <laughs> Just Shit, what was it? <laughs> Random deep voice. Oh, I can't it. remember why Alien Day was Alien Day. No, I know why it was. It was LV46. Yeah. It was the 26th of the 4th. Yeah. Ha. Yeah, I'm a key. So technically, shouldn't that be Aliens then? No, no, yes, it was Alien no, as well. No, yeah, it no, was an Alien, LV-246. Yeah. It wouldn't be Prometheus Day, because that wasn't LV-426. That was no. like LV-423, and they had to planet hop. Have you seen... I oh, know, sorry, I'm diverging a little bit, but if you haven't seen... No, I haven't seen Diversion. I didn't appeal. Shut <laughs> ah, shit. Oh, Never shit, leave first. a Nerf gun on the recording table. <laughs> um, the, 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 the new... Uh, Con- Alien Covenant. No, I haven't, oh, no. Not Convent. Covenant. Covenant, no, I was... Um, I do want to see it, but I've still not had a chance to go oh, out and see yeah. Wonder Woman yet. So. I haven't seen it yet either, but I do want to chat to someone who has seen it because I have a theory. And it's not really a theory, it's a case of, well, hang on a minute, isn't this wrong? But I was what's up, but we won't talk about it now. Oh, if we I'm both kind of see intrigued, it, then. Actually, it'd be quite a good story, we could, a thing we could talk about once we've both seen it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then how will I know that was the original thing you had? I'll write it down as a blog. <laughs> Date it with a, today's newspaper. <laughs> we'll look back on it in 30 years' time and be like, oh shit. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, Dan Aykroyd. There was controversy, not caused by Dan Aykroyd, but by the way it was reported. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. About the future of Ghostbusters. Which. Have you seen the all female 2016 Ghostbusters? Yes. I loved it. That's. I I wanted to like it more than I did. Mm. I think a big thing it suffers from is that there's far too much ad-libbing in it. It could have done with being tighter. A lot of the jokes go on a little bit too long and it's a little bit well, strung together in places yeah, the, very which easily. Yeah, which is very much the kind of the, 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 in thing, the trend at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, but it brings like small inconsistencies like Melissa McCarthy. The joke was that she didn't find Chris Hemsworth's character attractive, she just didn't see it. And then later on, she's like, we've got to go save our hot secretary or something. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like where you're ad-libbing, there's not consistency, but that's a minor thing. I just... It needed to be a problem with a lot of ad lib stuff. Is it just needs to be reined in a little bit and just tightened up? The original Ghostbusters, the Do you jokes know the felt very tight. And is they should script it. They should script it. Yeah, I think that makes it so much better. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like they just make it up. They're all really good at ad libbing. It's just I think because they're so good at ad libbing, there's no real reining it in. It's a bit like 
some of the Will Ferrell films. Mm. You can tell where it just went off on an ad lib. Nobody sort of had the courage to be kind of like, we should probably just bring this in a little bit now. It's like, it's been four hours. But but no, it wasn't a bad film, and certainly Dan Aykroyd thinks it's a good film. Mm. Oh, he loved he, it. He, he just said that, you know, they overspent and Paul Feig didn't do the things that they, the legacy people had suggested he did. And then they, he went back and changed it for yeah. more reshots, more reshoots. Yeah, and then it sort of. Yeah, and he sort of seems to think that'll be. I think with it being Ghostbusters Day tomorrow at the time of recording, hmm. that we'll probably get some kind of announcement hmm. as to the future of Ghostbusters. Okay. Potentially. It seems odd that this is sort of kicked up now, hmm. just in time for Ghostbusters Day. But I don't know, I always felt they missed the trick by not making it a continuation, even a loose one. I think there was a potential story arc for Ghostbusters becoming a franchise. Yeah. Not setting it in New York, not having all the things like the firehouse at the end. And Though I do love the gag where she goes to look at the firehouse. She's like, how much is the rent? And she <laughs> tells her, and she's like, oh, fuck off, or whatever it is, the insult she throws at her. Because the rent is astronomical on it. Oh, yeah. Is that when they find the pole? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, I, I think there was potential where they could have gone still honouring the original, or even had Dan Aykroyd as Ray Stance, because you're never mm. going to get a Ghostbusters three with the original cast now. No, once Harold Ramis died, that yeah. ended it, and rightly so, I think. Mm. And there's also the danger of coming back to something like that after such a long period of time. And there was that all they needed to do was just have one of one of the, one of the, the cameos that did appear, but have them as their original character. That's yeah. all they needed to do. That's, yeah, and just acknowledge <clears throat> that Ghostbusters wasn't even if mm. Ghostbusters was a thing that after Ghostbusters two just naturally died off, mm. and they all went off on their separate ways, and and then the girls set up Ghostbusters again. Mm. It's their own thing. With you could maybe have Dan Aykroyd as a character in it. As Ray, sort of hanging around the firehouse, asking asking for a job. <laughs> you could have been there, Janine. Although Chris Hemsworth was great as their Janine. Yeah. So the whole Mike Cat thing. <laughs> but, but yeah. So I'm not sure. But like I say, there seemed to be unnecessary controversy about what Dan Aykroyd said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's because it was quite. I suppose it wasn't really expected to come to what he said, and he said it with quite a lot of vigour, didn't he? It was, it was quite. Yeah, certainly in the interview, the way he looks at the camera after he says Paul Feig won't be welcome back on the Sony lot anytime soon, mm. and he sort of looks at the camera, <laughs> and it's like that's a little bit sinister. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not sure. But I think people are making something out of it that it isn't. But that just seems to be the internet and that these days and the way things are reported. Clickbait. Clickbait. Your favourite thing, clickbait. I hate clickbait. 13 celebrities you won't believe have died. It's a picture of a guy I know is alive. Uh, have you seen that one at the moment where it says, I don't know, 50, 50 people you didn't know were gay? Number eight will shock women. Number eight. Is that? It's Alan Carr. No, number eight <laughs> is the one who's bloody mad about and John. And his name I can't remember. Oh really? Yeah. I can't remember. The one who's famous for being gay. 
Uh, I always think we should use more clickbait through true believers. Oh, if you did, I'd walk away. I did it once as a joke. I did the. Uh, what was it I put? Oh, yeah. We promised our guests we'd never use clickbait to advertise our event. You won't believe what happened next. <laughs> no, I, yeah. It'd be quite good, though. You know, this is our lineup for True Believers 2018. You won't believe who number eight is. They've started. Uh, they st- Yeah. <laughs> they started doing the blooming. Um... It's Orco. <laughs> <laughs> In joke. <laughs> it's a certain person from Star Wars <laughs> who was edited out of a previous conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, I've got a little bit of a leg in there. Oh, uh, hello. No, do you hear today? Quite sad news, actually. It's a bit gutted. The Bodger from Bodger and Badger died. I did, and worried where this is going. But do you yeah. know he's in Return of the Jedi? Was he? He was. He was the, I don't know how to pronounce it, Elephant Mon. You'll know him if you saw him. He was in Jabba's palace. He was a puppeteer. He was in a big costume, and basically, he was eating from potato. <laughs> he was Elephant Mon, basically. Okay. And let me Google him, and I'll show you. Okay. I'm surprised he didn't make a living on the. Uh... Which is my connection. Uh oh, he did, didn't he? No, he didn't. Oh, good. He didn't. Because you know he was Bodger from Bodger and Badger. He, he doesn't Bodrum need Bodrum. to live off Star Wars. Have you seen what he looked like before he died? So, so, sorry, I haven't known because I didn't click on it because it was just it was yeah. sad enough he died, I didn't need to know anymore. Fair enough. But yeah. Oh. So. Elephant Mon. You've, you've brought down the light hearted nature of I'm mocking sorry. other cons. Elephant <laughs> Mon. Elephant Mon? Elephant Mon. This is good. Elephant Mon sounds like a Jamaican. Elephant Mon. <laughs> Superhero. Him. Okay. Do you know him? Yeah, he was Bodger yeah. from Bodger and Badger. <laughs> Is he a mashed potato? I'd recognise him anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just a badger puppet behind. <laughs> Wouldn't it be ace if Badger was in there somewhere as well? Just like really far in the background. <laughs> if he was Seleucus Crumb on Jabba, on you know. <laughs> When everyone's asleep, he's just cuddling the badger. <laughs> right, anyway, let's back to this list. Everyone knows that Badger was an Ewok. <laughs> So yeah, mixing into shapes needs them every day. You've sort of brought us down to our Sorry. in memoriam kind of bit because yeah. obviously since we last recorded, the huge devastating loss of Roger Moore. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Which, you know, this podcast is takes its name from a Roger Moore film, and uh, with the man, who, the man who haunted himself. Oh. One of my all-time favourite films. Oh, okay. It's a great Roger Moore movie as well, which isn't something people say a lot you know there's a great Roger Moore movie especially outside of the Bond films mm. but he did do good films and, uh, but I mean you, you're you not a particular Bond fan are you? I think you tried to watch a few and I, I'm not a Bond fan no. but I mean for me Roger Moore I think was the one I loved as a kid because he was the most fun and kid friendly kind of Bond mm. well they're quite dark into, at times certain films they were at the Spy Love Me on the other day and Jack came in saw Jaws and was like turn it off oh I remember Jaws Jaws was fantastic and terrifying he was the he's Spy Love Me where he's going through the pyramid thing and it's just like him coming out of the darkness and just the idea of a guy who can kill you just by biting you with his metal teeth terrifying as a kid which is the one with the cable cars that is Moonraker okay the one that has the horrible scene where the girl, woman is chased down and killed by dogs 
Oh, Again, Roger Moore, the kid-friendly <laughs> one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, an outside Bond, you had like The Saint, which I think everybody's seen at least one episode down, of The Saint. Down, down. Yeah. And um, The Persuaders. Mm. Never watched The Persuaders? No. Used, one of those ones that used to repeat on Channel 4 on a Sunday, maybe. Him and Tony Curtis, which was Ace. And was he in Cannibal Run? He was in Cannibal Run. That yeah. was going to be my next one. Yeah. Where he... Uh, played a, per- a man who thought he was Roger Moore that's it which was superb and um did he have a Lotus what was his car it was a Bondesk car I think it, it might have been a Lotus it wasn't the Aston Martin I don't no. think but and he was in North Sea Hijack as well which used to be one of those BBC One Saturday night movies okay back when you had a Saturday night movie at about 8 o'clock it used to be Casualty then a film mm. and uh, yeah it was always one of those like Jaws or Norsey Hijack with Anthony Perkins which was a great film but yeah it was really sad and he was one of those people a bit like uh, Patrick McNeil from the Avengers or Robin Williams because he'd always been part of our lives you always kind of thought he'd always be there mm. sort of thing it's, it's always kind of weird when a film actor dies because you don't know them personally but you feel you did but you, you, you feel you did and it also never really feels like they've gone mm. well Bodger and Bodger <laughs> But and obviously quite close after the death of Chris Cornell as well, which was another Bond connection. Which, who I always appreciated him and his work. I wasn't a massive fan. There are Soundgarden songs I like, and there are Chris Cornell songs I like, and I absolutely loved that first Audio Slave album. Mm. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't call myself a massive Chris Cornell fan, but I certainly liked and appreciated him and his music mm. and the significance he had on the grunge scene and that whole grunge movement that led gave the world Nirvana which is obviously what everybody thinks about first one and you were a massive Nirvana fan yeah absolutely he was a big Sagar fan as well yeah and that and Alice in Chains it seems to be a thing if you were from that Seattle movement at least one member of your band yeah dies at a young age it does seem to be I think Pearl Jam's the only one on suicide yeah (laughs) It was suicide in the end, was it? Because I it generally after the thing I stopped reading because I've got no time for this bullshit. It was like when Heath Ledger died and it was all the. Uh, mm. I think it was. Did he kill himself? Was it on purpose? Was it an accident? It's kind of, I've got no time for that shit. Can we not just get on with? But it's slightly disappointed there's not been anything on telly honouring Roger Moore. Is it apart from showing Spy Who Loved Me? There's not been a tribute thing that I've seen. You think ITV would jump on that? Given that the Saint Persuaders how important Bond films were ITV yeah. on Bank Holidays it could be a while because it was only today or was it yesterday that they had a Ronnie Corbett tribute thing so it could be a little while yeah but then you look at when the Moore's murderer died mm. who's never not going to add straight away on that night on Channel 5 they had two programmes about him yeah they did Absolutely. it's like it's no wonder people fucking murder people because you're going to get glorified <laughs> ok I got a Roger Moore fact I heard on the radio that you might not know in fact you probably do know did you know he was responsible for the birth of the Magnum ice cream. I didn't you know, know. Brilliant. It was on the radio. Apparently he met Mr. Wall. He loved, he loved chalk ices. Right. Met, went, had a tour around the Walls factory. And said, said, why don't you put a stick in it? Exactly what he said. <laughs> why don't you put a stick in it? And he said, oh, that's not a bad idea. Put the stick in it. He invented the Magnum. Genius. It's awesome, isn't it? Did he also invent Magnum P.I.? I think yeah did he, he saw see a wine shirt and go well, put, just put a Tom Selleck in it put a stick in it <laughs> he saw Tom Selleck and said why don't, don't put the refer such? to Tom Selleck as a stick that's just not on. <laughs> that's not cool 
No, yeah, it was on the radio, so therefore it must be true. <laughs> but that sounds right. It always used to be really exciting because in Gloucester, I don't know if it's still there, but um, down Three Cox Lane, there was the Roger Moore dentist. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah, absolutely. Which was just, as a kid, was like a bizarrely exciting thing because you did never really put it together that there could be two people called Roger Moore in the world. Did you ever go and sit in a dentist chair and I spin around when a dentist walks in his broken a cap? <laughs> so, Doctor, I've been expecting you. <laughs> no, because it's not wise to provoke a dentist. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean... <laughs> sad news, even though we're chuckling. Yeah, well, he would have wanted that <laughs> He would have wanted it that way, yes. He, yeah. <laughs> we can firmly say that by having only ever known him through the screen. <laughs> <laughs> we knew him well. But... But yeah, I mean, you know, he was an important part of growing up. It's sort of something we'll probably touch on later. Mm. Or not later, and later for us, but in a couple of weeks for you. Because <laughs> we like to make you wait. Oh, don't ruin the illusion. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Yes. I will see you back here in two weeks to continue this conversation. Yes. Really fresh in our minds. <laughs> it's hard enough getting together once a month these days. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then, like I say, nothing really going on in the, the news. Looks like the Hellboy movie is happening. We, yeah. We speculated. Ron Perlman. Uh, Ron Perlman and the guy from Stranger Things whose name's completely gone David. Hasselhoff. Yeah, why not? A, he was in Guardians, so. Yeah, oh, shit. Spoilers. Mm. Guardian spoilers. Um, yeah, so I guess we should sort of round up with a bit of True Believers news. Um, we've got the summer variant event coming up. Ooh, just over two months, isn't it? Crikey. July, August, yeah. Just over two yeah, months. Yeah, it is, absolutely. So we should probably get planning on that, really. Mm. <laughs> Start throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm. But it's how we roll. <laughs> So we've planned everything. But yeah, sort of a... We'll be out in Gloucester on Saturday. We will be out in Gloucester on Saturday. Come say hello. Yeah, handing out flyers, come take a flyer, come buy tickets. Um, Am I wearing a costume? If it's not raining, then... Yeah, if it's not raining, I'll be wearing, I'll be the, with a big head. You'll want to wear shorts or something, though. I don't wear... I don't own shorts. Can I just go commando? Well, I mean... Are you wearing it afterwards, mate? <laughs> well, I went commando in it before you, so... Your thing will be touching my thing indirectly. Oh my god. It's like we had sex. <laughs> Wait, you mean like put your action man figure in it, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. That's what I meant. Well, that was that was my commando. I so. see. I meant do an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Because like my action man figure, I've got plastic pants put in <laughs> welded to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only... I still don't get how i got two kids, but you know. Actually, you've got a bit of an action man hair. I have. I've got, the, I've got the... Yeah. You've got eagle eye switch on the back I of my head. I have got an eagle eye switch on the back of my head, so... I've got a mole on the side of my head that my kids like to pretend is my off button. <laughs> Does it work? Well, yeah, it's a good excuse to sort of close your eyes and lie for a bit. You've got a mole on the side of your head that kids like to think is that's brilliant. <laughs> it was a way to get a sneaky nap. The on and off mole. Yeah. Can that be the title of this podcast? This hey, edition. Taking it back to Alien, in Alien Resurrection, one of her moles on call was a thing that pulled out and was a communication thing. She yeah, could plug it I in. Ne- I never got that. Yeah. It was weird and horrible. Yeah, it was odd. I mean, if you play with it, doesn't it go horrible and nasty and green and... and... <laughs> but yes, Alien Resurrection. Yay! So, oh, that's a bit of Alien Ooh, news, actually. was in that. In that. It was. The, the, apparently the Neil Blomkamp Alien 3... Isn't glorious. Isn't going to happen. It isn't that. All right, OK. From everything they said, that it sort of... Ridley Scott kind of killed it. Oh. Uh. Which is a shame, because it would have been nice to get a nice 
finish off for Hicks and Newt and Ripley. It sort of ended them in a a style they deserved. Because, mm. I mean, that's the big problem with going from Aliens into Alien 3. As a, ignoring the first two, Alien 3 is a perfectly fine film. It's a mess, but it's a perfectly fine film. It's got a really nice ending where she drops into the fiery thing and then it plays the tape that she recorded at the end of the first Alien oh, in yeah. the junkyard. That's a really nice thing and it's quite a nice touch, but it just shits on everything you'd invested previously. See, I didn't have that big a problem with it. See, I, it's it hits you more when you watch them back to back. But and I know that Hicks was originally supposed to die in Aliens anyway, from everything I've read. Mm. But when it was James Ramar playing him, when the alien queen comes into the or the alien comes into the lift or whatever it is, instead of him just getting covered in acid, oh, it kills him. But because it was he killed him off, killed Michael Bean off in Terminator. Mm. He said he'd let him live. Oh. <laughs> Which that kind of sounds like a camera thing to do. It's like, do this film and I'll let you live. Yeah, with me <laughs> if you want to live. He actually meant he just wasn't going to kill Michael Bean in real life. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, do this film or I will end you. <laughs> but Michael Bean on set was kind of like, so my character lives now. He's like, yes, yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> Put the knife down. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, so... Alien 5? Alien 3 reboot isn't happening now, which is a shame because I think he wants to focus on his Prometheus trilogy timeline mm. which yeah <laughs> the fact I've not rushed out to see Alien Covenant is no nor have I is kind of an indictment of the state of the Alien franchise at the moment yeah and it's a shame because I want to see it because I got really excited when I found out that Lorelai King was the voice of Mother the computer oh yeah, yeah. that kind of made me want to go and see it again but even then I just like I say, finding the time's a big problem, but even just working up the enthusiasm to take the best part of three hours out of my life to go and watch it. And plus Wonder Woman's out now, and I really want to see that. Mm. Did you see that awesome thing that was going around um, from a comment section about Wonder Woman? Somebody had put, I'm not sure I like the message this film sends out to people, or sends out to kids, and somebody replied with what? That you can... That war is bad and you can have a strong kick-ass female character and then they put under these that uh, no they can expect decent DC movies yes I did yeah <laughs> apparently I read somewhere I don't know if it's real or not but apparently people are kicking off because um, America, people are kicking off because Wonder Woman isn't American enough even though she's supposed to be so even though she's not American she's, from, from she's, she's Amazonian. a Amazonian yeah and someone said that's like a complaining that Superman's an illegal alien <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair Trump would have him out yeah so because he is the real life Lex Luthor yeah, only absolutely. dumb as fuck but let's not go political so yeah the True Believer Summer of <laughs> yay so yeah um, we've got an awesome selection of where is it first it is at Blackfriars in Gloucester which is uh, the spiritual home of True Believers it's where the genesis of the idea came from yeah it was where yes we won't go into that but that is where we came up with the original idea it was where in a pit of despair through another event we were like we should have just done a comic off yeah that was absolutely true because that's where the easy money is yeah. <laughs> oh yeah because we're in this for the money as you can tell by the fact that we make it as hard as possible <laughs> but um yeah we've got a great collection of sort of small press comic creators who are going to be there who are going to be there Stuart uh, well, it's funny you should ask. Uh, the Etherington brothers are going to be there. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. If you read the Phoenix or follow them on Twitter, they do like a weekly tutorial, like how to draw hands, how to draw books, 
how to draw mist, how to draw drapes blowing in the wind. Mm. Like all these really bizarre things, but it's fantastic. I really hope they'll put that into a book one day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy Bloor's going to be there. Uh, Beyond the Bunker's going to be there. The Inheritic guys who've sort of been with us from the beginning, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. They've been really good. Been at all the Tribbly was the first Tribbly was their first Comic Con. It was their first Comic Con, yeah. We uh, we took their Comic Con first timery. Yeah, we took their Comic Con cherry. Yes, thank you. I didn't feel comfortable saying it, but <laughs> no, I don't mind. I don't really care. Uh, Nick Prolix is going to be there, who does the sheep and the walls, and is uh, working with something, uh, working on something with Tony from the Awesome Comics podcast as well. Oh, really? Yeah, which I'm really excited about because Tony's a Tony's a really good writer of stuff. He, he seemed to rub a lot of people up the wrong way with one of his things, but they didn't seem to realise that it was an in-character piece. A bit like Ricky Gervais used to wind people up before oh, people okay. realised that there was the character Ricky Gervais and the man Ricky Gervais. Um, Sarah Mormon's going to be there as well with Heart of Time, and I think she's with Pipe Dream Comics, which isn't a comic per se. It's a magazine about small press comic. Mm-hmm. Um, again, been a really big support of us for a long time. Um, like our event, The Sick Bastards. Um Time Bomb Comics is going to be there with Flintlock, which is going great guns. Apparently, he did massively well at MTM London mm. recently, um, which seemed to be an event that's. I don't know if you saw the sort of conversation MTM London started with the way they treat some small press and no, uh, don't sort of started a discussion about how the small press community should come together yeah. to sort of promote each other and that sort of thing and how cons can get. I mean, I've always sort of prided myself on the way we treat small press and mm. try and promote small press. I think we've always done more than, I'd say, 99% of conventions, certainly Easy. with the amount we put on the website, the way we do the five-question interview, that sort of thing. Just because we deliberately like, like, you know, limit the um, like merchandise tables and stuff like that. Yeah, just particularly more so recently. But like I say, just with through doing the... We've got a website, we've got a social media page... If we're not promoting small press through that as well, mm. I don't think we're doing our job properly. Mm. I mean, because without them, we'd have a pretty barren convention floor and a very big debt. Mm. <laughs> and um, plus, what they do is awesome, and they're creating, and we support creativity. But that's sort of us bigging ourselves up a little bit. Well, um, we, we need a big ourselves up. com is coming, which I think is. I think they were at True Believers this year, but I didn't get a chance to stop by their table. But they they were upstairs. They might have been upstairs, yeah. yeah. I think it was a animation, webcomic mix thing. A uh, computer animation. Yeah, from what I've read. Um, King's Legacy guys are going to be there. Um, who were They won the Leamington Comic Con Small Press Factor competition. Oh, wow. um, the first issue of King Legacy is fantastic. and They'll be knee-deep in issue two by then, so you'll be able to stop by their table and talk to them. And Psychedelic Journal is going to be there as well. They're old friends as well. They're old they? friends, yeah old friends of the events so So it's nice so yeah a really good collection of small press and then we've got traders selling comics Proud Lion's going to be there Um, people selling merchandise pop vinyls if you're into pop vinyls comics lots of people selling back issue comics again I'm always really pleased that we have a good selection of back issue comic sellers Mm -hmm. because you go to a lot of that used to be what going to cons was Mm. again it's something we'll talk about more in the other one but that used to be the thing of going to cons with a list and getting all your back issues filling in your Spider-Mans or your Supermans or whatever it was you collected and um yeah so we've got that um it's 40 years of Star Wars so the Joker squad's going to be there fantastic 
in Star Wars cosplay, and we just announced that the Cheltenham R2-D2... Yeah, I can't wait to see that. ...is going to be there, which is fantastic. Bill it himself, and when you look inside, it's like the things it's made out of, like one of the circuit boards is on a plastic Tesco value shopping <laughs> board. It's like, you sort of look at it like... How? Have you seen how? it? Yeah, I yeah. saw it where he was at Proud Lion for three oh, couple of day. Yeah. Load him into the car. But, um, <laughs> so I was like, don't be the fucker who drops this. <laughs> If, if I drop it, I'm blaming Ben. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's really, really cool what he's done with it. Mm. And it's not like the one where the buying the part where to build it. He sourced all the stuff himself and built it. It's fantastic. It makes the sounds. The head moves around. It's got lights. I think the whole body moves. But it actually, remote control moves. I think so. I might be wrong with that. But I mean, I'm sure it does. I I'm, think sure I'm sure it does. I'm sure. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, sure. It wasn't sure. by the time I got there because I think one of the wires had come loose or something but but yeah I'm sure it moves so so yeah so that's really cool and have I got a table I can't remember you have got a table yeah I've got for that yeah yeah I've got a table yay that just seems to be like you know your one negotiating thing it is <laughs> <laughs> I would do it for a table and cake <laughs> <laughs> oh cake that's an idea cake <laughs> I've just I've just up my, up my um... damn it damn it damn it damn it so yeah so um like I say that's coming up mm. uh, tickets are available on the website now at least one pound from every ticket sold will go to the Sue Rider Lecampton Court Hospice the Cheltenham R2D2 if you get your picture taken with him just ask him that you make a charitable donation to the Sue Rider as well so I uh, hope to be able to the more tickets we sell the more money we'll be able to give to Sue Rider because once we've covered our costs and that then we have more money that we can give and we want it to be a an event that raises money and does some good and sort of gives back because we're not superheroes but you know we try and buy our way into being superheroes yeah so we're like Batman without the money yes <laughs> we're like what Batman would have done if he was lazy <laughs> just like just throw some fucking money at it but yeah so I'm really excited for it like I say like we said last time it's going to be something different it's good it's a really, really nice venue as well it's it is lovely it's different as well I've not seen a venue you use like that for a comic con I think some places have but mm. it's, it is it's an old abbey isn't it it is yeah medieval abbey yeah so so yeah or a priory but yeah so yeah really interesting like I say if the weather's good then a lot going on hoping to do a live draw something Sunday thing there we're going to have workshops panels yeah all the stuff you love so and us <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we'll be there so, as well that's your bonus and on the charity front we announced that the we're launching a charity showcase comic yes which did we settle on a name in the end I don't think we did we've got one in the running but I, I, to be honest I'm not sure if people get it yeah I don't know if people need to get it yeah it's kind of like train spotted until they put that scene in the second film no or you read the book yeah you're right nobody knew what train spotting had in reference to the film beyond the fact that there was a scene where they got off a train so basically it's going to be called my balls are like fucking waterman this man I'm telling you <laughs> that was the sequel see oh, typical watermelon balls you've blown your load too early <laughs> but yeah um, a lot of great creators given uh, putting stories in for free giving their time for free uh, Vince Hunt's doing a special Red Mask from Mars that'll be exclusively in it the stories in it will mostly be exclusive um, there might be a couple that have been previously printed somewhere else and but a lot of them will be 
exclusive for it, so you've got Vince Hunt's doing an exclusive Red Mask from Mars one. Andy Bloor's doing a Midnight Man comic. Uh, Mike Garley's done a Samurai Slasher special, which he's, he uh, let, sent us one of the pages that we could post up to tease people with. It's not got the word balloons on yet. It's just the art, but it looks stunning. Sick. Uh, Susie Gander's doing a Periwinkle one. John Late's doing a special Brethren Born. Joe Glass is doing something from The Pride. And some guy called Craig. Yeah, some guy called Craig. Who does Wages of Cindy. Um, I don't know I always fast forward through his bits yeah uh, he's doing a I I think it is going to be an actual Wages of Cindy one uh, I'm not sure possibly not Uh, he was toying with different ideas but it's going to be exclusive it's going to be his first one in print in a comic Uh, yeah he has done had stuff in print in magazines but yeah this is his first published in a comic um Again, all the money from that is going to... So we're going to cover the costs, either hopefully going to have some advertising space in there so people can buy adverts, and then we're going to cover the printing costs out of our own pockets mm. so that all of the money from the cover price of the comic goes to the charity. When will this be on sale, then? It's... The plan is for it to be... It will be ready to go at True Believers 2018. So you'll be able to buy it from there. The plan is to have it sort of ready and put together by December, January so that we can put it up for pre-orders mm. on the website. If people want to pre-order it or if people can't make the show any we've got left we'll give the option to the people who've provided a story for it. If they want to buy them at cover price and then sell them on at cons down the line they're more than welcome to or we'll um, put them for sale through the website but it's going to be a limited print run um, and it won't be printed again it'll only be printed once so it's yeah it's an exclusive with a lot of cool small press stuff in it I'm really excited about it it's something we've wanted to do well we've always wanted to have a comic with mm. that we were behind but in some way shape or form so and it's something we've been wanting to do since we started yeah absolutely so um yeah so and sort of speaking of small press I think leads us nicely into the panel that we're putting at the end of this one which is the Discover, Discover Something New 2017 panel from this year's True Believers Just Gone which featured John Late of Level 8 Comics, Chris Sides and Jay Martin and it was moderated by Ollie McNamee and they were just talking about their small press, how they all came together as a collective kind of thing because um, they were a collective I can't remember what they were called but that collective sort of broke down and they became their own collective, they were part of a wider group Oh, the so it all yeah it all sort of changed just before the panel but but yeah um, really worth a listen and um, yeah so the panel will be coming up after that and then at the end of the panel that will be it and we will be back in a couple of weeks with our sort of editorial nerdy conversation so yeah we will see you or you know not see you well, actually we are watching you mm-hmm. we know where you live Craig we know where you live <laughs> um yeah so uh, here comes the panel and we'll be back in a couple of weeks see ya bye bye we're all sitting comfortable and cosy with these dark lights on but it's uh, nice nice and um, lovely outside anyway okay so this is the discovering something new panel Um, as you can see from the title cards we've got John we've got Chris and we've got Jay many of whom are at different points in their careers with comics and hopefully we can get that out of it um hopefully there'll be opportunities 
for questions to ask because there's a lot of things I would want to know about any creator who's willing to juggle a personal life, uh, a working life, um, and have that energy, enthusiasm, and that drive um, to get comics out there on a pretty regular basis, as many of these are doing. So I'm going to start off, really, with the most obvious question to all three of you, one at a time. John, if we can go that way down first. Um, first of all, what was the drive that, that got all three of you deciding, do you know what, I want to get into comics? Um, and we'll take it from there, I suppose. Okay. Um, well, for me, I've, I've always been a, um, a comics fan, uh, for a, ever since I can read, really. I started reading... 2000 AD and all those sort of comics back in the old days, Judge Dredd, ABC Warriors and all that sort of thing. Um, obviously had the Beano as well and all, all those sort of different comics. Um, and I think it wasn't until um, probably 38, 39, I've always collected comics all the way up, up until that age. I'm 41 now. Um, I thought, actually, I might give, a, give this a go. I started writing a book when I was about 34, 35, and then I had children, so that took a lot of time away. Um, but I thought, no, I think I'll, I'll, I'll give this a go. Um, and that was, what, 2014, 2015, and my first comic came out in 2015. So, yeah, it's been, um, it's, it's been quite late on for me. I've only been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, but it's always been a, a, a real passion. But it wasn't until I was an old git and, <laughs> until I, <laughs> I realised I actually thought I, I can actually do something about this and, and write a book. But isn't that, I mean, before we move on, isn't that a common thing I've seen from time, conventions... It is us old gits that are suddenly saying at some point, maybe it's our midlife crisis, and instead of buying a Ferrari, we're putting out our own comic because it's a bit cheaper. Yeah. But I think... But I wonder I wonder if we're onto something here where sort of Jessica Martin's here today, and she's at the next panel at 2.15 talking about her process. And I'm beginning to see... I mean, I myself have got ideas, but I'm beginning to see that we are leaving it late to life. Maybe it's because we're in a more comfortable position, family-wise, career-wise... I don't know. I mean, what's your take? Well, I think it's experience, like having life experience. Like, yeah, you said, like having kids and kind of, uh, and sort of family or just, just in the job you're in or, or, or just anything, just experience mm. with life, I guess, maybe. But yours is a different life. story, isn't it, Chris? Because you're actually, you used to be a teacher, mm. lucky sod getting out of that one, yeah. but yeah. now I'm assuming as part of your time at home, you're dedicating yourself to writing and it seems like you've produced yeah. quite a lot in the last seven years. Yeah, it's basically... Um, Working, it's come to the point where it's a full-time job almost. Um, not not quite, but um, I get a little bit of time in the mornings um, once the, the little lads have gone to school, um, and then in the afternoon I sort of I've got them and we go and do we go and do stuff. But then my evenings come back to to that. So it's sort of um, yeah, I'll get to the point where from September I'll be able to actually really give it. a Okay, well, before we get into more detail about the process, because I'm very keen to hear how you're... I mean, you've touched on it very much there, where you've got that full day, and certainly with 30 weeks off a year as a teacher, I've got that as well. <laughs> so you do have to have that, otherwise you're watching Patricia and Blooming Neighbours all day long. Um, so for you then, how is it a similar story to John's, that you just had that bug, you started writing on a book, and you thought, do you know what, I'm going to go for it? I was literally going to say what he said. Yeah. <laughs> from, from, the, from the start, yeah, sort of... Um, Read comics. The comics have always been there. Not always there full time, but like, I'm a massive film buff, so um, films for me were, were a huge influence. Um, yeah, comics it just always been been in the background. I kind of lost it for a bit, and then I was diehard Marvel from about 2000 2010. And that's kind of all I read, and then I realised that you could get. It, you know, I knew of independent comics, but I didn't realise that there was such a big deal. And then it's, that's kind of fell into sort of around, around 2009. 
2008. Okay. Actually, maybe I can. I'll give it a shot because you know, I've always had sort of stories going on in my head and kind of really bizarre um, like scenarios and you know, sort of running scenarios in your head and what if that happened, what if that happened. And I thought I'll just, it just sort of clicked one day. So I'll just give it a go, just give it a shot. So. And that was whilst you were still full time teaching, I yeah. take it. Yeah. Okay. And Jay, similar experience, different experience? Uh, well, yeah, there's not much to add. It's pretty crap being sat on the end. <laughs> um, we're going to come to the first question. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's basically like the other two guys said. I've always been a fan of comics and movies, movies especially. And it's, it was kind of getting to the point where it was like, these characters are ace. I'd love it if they did this. What if they did this, this and this? And I don't know what it was like for those two, you two, but you always get delusions of grandeur when you're about to start doing something like this and think, this is an amazing book. DC are definitely going to make this comic. <laughs> if I give it to someone, they're really, really going to do this. And then you realise that you've got no chance and you've got to work at it for years and years and actually become good before anybody good will take any notice of you. So then scale it back, scale it back, scale it back. Do something of your own. And then once you actually do it, if you enjoy it, then just carry on doing it, basically. Is there part then, Jane, I'm starting with you first this time, you know, is, is there a part of you then, as an independent creator, and go back, let's say, the very first thing you do, it's part of you thinks, you know what, this does therefore act as a calling card for any other publisher. You've actually got mm -hmm. something physical in your hand and it's not just in your head or just a script, or something like that. Mm. Jay? Well, that's what, like, you go to, I've, I've been to a hell of a lot of panels that, like, how to break into comics and everything like that, and the first thing they'll say, they'll sit down on the panel and they go, right, there is no way of breaking into comics. And it's like, well, right, well, so what's the next hour going to be? And then big producers will always tell you, well, we want to see a script. And then somebody else will say, we want to see a script with six pages of story. And somebody else will say this, this, and this. But the one thing they all have in common is we read books, so if you make your own book, if that's the way you want to go, you've got much more chance of getting somewhere than somebody who says he's just got a script and he's handing yeah. out story ideas and that kind of thing. Mm. So. Is that like, therefore, that kind of the elevator pitch? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I've got this comic here, I'll take it away with you. It's that kind of thing. But then it's like, also, that leads to networking and meeting different people yeah. and it, yeah, it just spirals out of control after a bit. So and how long have you been doing it for? Sorry, Jay. I've been now... When did um, Showcase 1 come out? It's been about five years, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, so about five years, British Showcase Anthology 1 was the first time I got published. I think I wrote my first story about a year before that, so it's been about six, five or six years now. And before we get on to sort of how you go about scripting, because I know I spoke to you about this in Ice back in September, very fascinating. These are the dragons. <laughs> you've got to pitch them your comic. So I know you've got quite a lot out, but also I'd like to think some of these people walk away today thinking, do you know what? I'd like to have a little taste of all three of these creators, and I know you're down there already. <coughs> so before we go on to any further talk about because you've all got very eclectic, very different comics out there. So I'm going to go with you, Chris, this time oh, first. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it, Chris. Yeah. You yeah, can picture my comic. It's really <laughs> kind of sort of, you know, no two-minute thing. We've got an hour to kill. But I really <laughs> want to sort of know, sort of, the thought behind it, maybe, the process behind it, maybe even the process behind the art, and, and sort of, if, dare I say it, what's the unique selling point, what's its USP? Do you mean for the ones we've already done? Or the, the ones we've already done, and if you've got yeah, anything yeah. out new, because I know quite a few of you have got some new stuff out today, yeah. and, and you will have stuff out, and I dare say, people come to Cheltenham, may come to Birmingham for the MCMs, may come mm -hmm. to ICE, may come to the Birmingham Festival, so I'd like to think they travel around and get to know the creators one-to-one, -one, like I've had the privilege of being able to do. Right. Well, in that case, yeah, this is basically dark matter 
was uh, sort of came about maybe it started about seven years ago, I think, um, and, and sort of ideas for it as short stories, um, and it kind of developed from there. Um, I, I like horror films a lot, and uh, sci- dark science fiction horror, so sort of the thing and that kind of thing, that, that, those kind of movies. And short stories like that, that's what Dark Matter's all about. The idea was that different genres of, um, uh, including different artists, to try and sort of show, you know, showcase dark storytelling. I think Seven was another big, big, big deal for me um, when I was growing up. And sort of, you realise at the end of the film that the bad guy wins. And that, I'd, never seen, I'd never seen that before as a young person watching films. And it was always kind of like, Disney, happy endings. And this was actually just something really really not and it really mm. isn't a happy ending it's a really nasty ending and that kind of stuck with me and I think from there sort of it's kind of a natural progression to the short stories I've written for it so yeah sort of short dark stories each with a dark theme a dark twist um, but different genres I like different genres of, of comics and different genres of films so um, that's what we kind of want no, to no, put so, yeah, it's kind of like um, you know Black Mirror before Black Mirror came about because you know, as you said you started yeah. this five years ago I know Charles, Charlie Brooker's a big comic fan. Who knows, he might have read Dark Matters 1 and 2. Quite well, nice if he had that. But I like the idea of the diff, you know, the anthology, you know, this sort of idea. I think that's what we do very well in Britain, yeah. whether it's 2000 AD, The Beano, or even The Phoenix. And I really love the sort of the different art styles and, and how they clearly you had a thought process beside each story go right I want that kind of art I want that yeah. kind of art not so much for the first one actually I think a lot when we were just starting out and it was going to be a lot of these stories are going to be with just uh, Chris Travell um, but we got to the point where Chris wasn't able to do all of them so we kind of I say outsourced it but we, we, we spoke to a lot of different people a lot of friends actually who were artists and said oh yeah well, we'd like to get on board with this and we pitched them the stories and that kind of stuff so um, but with the second one yeah it was a kind of a more we, we'd met a lot more people by that point and um I could judge the different styles, I think, or, or speak to different people about the different styles, and that's kind of how the second one came about a little bit more. We, we, there's, there's, there's different styles, and it's all colour, it's all kind of, we wanted to sort of really beef up the, mm. the production on it and, 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 and do that, yeah. You've got an interesting looking book in front of you there, If. This one, yeah, it's from Alterna Comics, yeah. Um, it's basically a superhero anthology, um, and I pitched a story to uh, Peter Sometti, the, um, the editor, and he, and he, and he just picked it up, so that was... A, that was End of last year as well, so it's kind of very recent. And you've got copies of that downstairs. Yeah, yeah. But I might take one yourself. Cool. Yeah, that, to see that. Thank you. John, over to you then. So, Brethren Born, um, street level superheroes, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I say I've only been doing it for about two years now, and I've, I've been brought up on superheroes, so it's one of those things, right? I want to write a superhero book. Yeah. Um, and I kickstarted it. I don't know whether any, any of you guys have done Kickstarter through crowdfunding, and, and that was an absolute godsend for me because I, I had no idea what to do. Um, so I contacted a few people on Kickstarter and found out how you make a comic. Um, loads of loads of information came in, um, and it sort of worked around worked around that really. I wrote this. I, I'd written the story almost in prose, and then suddenly realised that wait a minute, you write comics in a totally different way. So I had to learn how to write a comic. Um, and then trying to find out who, who was available. So for Brethren Born, I used uh, Phil Nibs, who's a, a, a brother of a guy I used to work with. Um, sent him a script, and he, he sent it back to the storyboard and a few of the panels, and he absolutely smashed it. So I thought, right, this is the guy we're going uh, to use. It took about a year, and it's, um, it's a sci-fi superhero book uh, based around a, a young lad called Newton who was... Um, Experimenting on yeah. in a military yeah, facility. Back in That's right. Yeah, ninety four. That timeline. On a whole craze, didn't they? Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, 
he escapes and then it flips to modern day and we see Newton, he's obviously learned how to use his abilities and he's going to obviously uh, go on this mission of vengeance of the people who did uh, the things to him. But then it flips back to 1960s as well um, and you get a bit of an origin story as well. I always like an origin story. Yeah. Um, telling you straight away in the first issue how it's happened, it's a bit of a spoiler. I like to like, read a little bit more. It might be issue 20 until you find out how they became that person and how they got mm. their powers. But a little few teasers, things like that, I think is something that I've always wanted. So yeah, Brethren Born was the first one that I genuinely thought, right, I'll scratch it, this itch and it'll be it and I'll, I've written a comic and, and that'll be fine. But then I met these guys, I got into the convention scene and made so many contacts. It's, it's, it's nice being a bit of a gobshite because um, a lot of people in this industry tend to be quite quiet and a little bit reserved. So if, if you can talk to people and you can and, and get along with people, it's a, it's a, it's a big advantage getting on. Um, met these guys, go out for a few beers, and you can talk about comics, you can talk about real life as well. Um, but it's, it's been an amazing journey, and now we're just about to kickstart issue three. March 3rd. March 3rd, yeah, yeah, put it in diaries. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and it's just been amazing. So we, I've obviously written the story, it goes through to issue four, and then we're going to probably do a trade paperback. Um, and it's just been amazing, and, and just in that two years from writing one comic... I've written for anthologies. I've got to talk to Chris especially, who's written for a lot of anthologies. And it's obvious that's a way to go if you want to mm. build a portfolio because it's only short stories. Um, uh, one I did for the Slice Quarter was literally just two pages of script, um, but it got published. It's, it's online. It's being kick-started at the moment. But little opportunities like that help you build a portfolio because, as Jay said, nobody will look at you unless you've got a, a body of work to say right that's what I've done this is how I've done it I've put the work in to do it I am committed to what I'm doing um, please can you give me some work do you feel this is a bit of a cheeky question before I go over to you Jay at the end do you feel more legitimate every comic that comes out like you say you've got to start somewhere and at some point you're only going to have one comic out there aren't you yeah yeah the, learn, the learning curve is, is massive um and I don't think you ever stop learning in, in anything you do, but especially in, in this world, you never stop learning. You never yeah. stop wanting to get better. You never stop wanting to make that next issue better than the last one. So, yeah, it's, it's been absolutely amazing, um, and I can't wait to write any more. Jay, I've said I'm out to these two. You're the last hope for comics. <laughs> please tell the audience what's yours about, please. And, and go through, because you've got an awful lot there. I didn't notice that book earlier. So you can talk us through that, would be wonderful. Yeah, uh, well, I've got a couple of things out. Again, uh, female superhero, ALV. Uh, we're just about to release the second one of these. Um, so she's the story is, she's the only superhero in the world. And in the start of the first book, it seems like she's fallen out of favour and the entire world's hunting her, and we're not too sure why or anything like that. Then the first book kind of ends with someone, it, it looks as if they're trying to draw her out. And then with the second book, which is about to come out next month, that's very much we get into why someone's trying to draw her out and what they're doing and all that kind of thing. So it's getting quite in-depth as it is. Um, the other one I've got out of this series is uh, Dominion. So that's set in the future where the world's at war. 50% of the uh, Earth's population has moved underground. And then they're trying to retake the surface now so they those can come those back. Those of us who voted against Brexit. <laughs> that's, uh, we're going to be driven now. So <laughs> I'm already digging. Um, uh, first novel of that's just come out as well so the plan is it's, it's an accompanying comic so they're both individual stories but okay. they both kind of intertwine and go into one another as well a little bit and there's hints of one and another and a few characters cross over and things like that so it sounds to me you're building a universe here. yeah yeah that's the idea with this um 
not too sure when another comic's going to be coming out with it, but the idea is it's the first of three books. So I'm hoping the second one's going to be out towards the end of the year and then the third one at the start of next year to complete the trilogy. And then, like I say, I'd like to do a couple more comics uh, interspersed with them. And then other than that, it's just anthology work, like the two boys say. We've got uh, British Showcase 2 downstairs. All three of us have got a story in that, which is quite a short story. Um, I've done a few other anthologies and all that kind of thing. So it's all just about getting as much stuff out as quick as you can. Yeah, do you get as much pleasure with writing the prose as you do with the comics? Because, like you said earlier, Johnny, it is a very different mm. process, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. It's a lot more instant gratification when you're doing prose rather than comics. Because, like the mm. book, like John said, his first one took about a year. And for you, you're doing like one dark matter every year, aren't you? Something along those lines. So it's, and then the, the added thing of once you've given a script to an artist, the vision that you've got in your head is never what you get back, what they've drawn. But it's become one of the most exciting parts of comics for me. When first, when I was first doing it and I was getting things back and I was like, well, I didn't see it like this anyway. I, I can't see where he's going. Then you start looking at the whole thing and take a bit of a step back and it's like, well, yeah, I see what you did there, actually. It's really, really smart. So it's, uh, it's very different, but I enjoy both quite equally, to be honest. It's, yeah. Well, before we go on to the process, I'm quite interested. There's already about three or four different questions and and whether Kickstarter is still a viable way forward, and maybe some hints and tips. Is there any questions from the uh, growing audience? Who, you know, the process behind it, um, how you put your own comic out there, uh, these kind of things that maybe we haven't touched upon yet. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you sort of found your artists quite easily. When we tried that, it was like wailing through trees. <laughs> even with cash incentives to give it a go, here's some cash. It was almost impossible. In the end, we've, we've gone with an unknown who's he's enthusiastic and he has got the ability. But the, the problem we've had is, oh, how do you want this to look? It's not how we want it to look, it's how you see it as you read it. Because I find a, a completely new way of writing. Uh, and I've literally found that I write in a almost like a, a screen script. Yeah. Yeah, so which took a, 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 a lot of sort of spiralling round. So so finding artists, how, how do you get recognised and, and possibly even trusted by an artist because they don't even really want to see what you've written. You know, and I I've we've got to how many foundation eight foundation stories we've got in the bag ready to go, which we can sort of adapt as they need to go. They're all still pretty fluid, but we, we had a choice of one artist. How do you do? It's uh, it isn't easy. <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> it's uh, but like the more you do it, the more you get networking. The more people you meet, the the easier it becomes to find artists and stuff like that. Most of the time, you just sat in the pub having a beer, and you'll start talking to somebody, and you'll really get on, and you'll say, "Well, I've got this coming up. Are you going to be free?" And then it just kind of goes from there. So it's it's more about meeting people than just going over the internet. For example, like. ALV is uh, drawn by a guy called Pablo. For the first one, he did the colours and everything. Um, and I got him off a website called People Per Hour. So that's when you post a job saying, I want this, this and this. This is what I'm offering. And I think I had it running for about 24 hours, something along those lines. I think I got nearly 25, 26 replies. And everybody else had just gone, yeah, I fancy this. Here's a link to some of my work. And Pablo wrote two pages of what he'd do and what he fancies doing and where he'd envision it and all that kind of thing. And it was just like, yes, definitely him. So it's, it's difficult, but the more people you meet, it's, it becomes easier. 
getting involved with groups as well. There was one group on Facebook. It's still running, but it's not um, to the, the, the same extent. It was called The Prompt, and it was like um, a one-page script that you had to submit a, a, a script. Um, you get a theme for it, and then you, you use the, the Facebook group to um, get in touch with artists. And it's, it's kind of free work, and uh, I got in touch with this guy called Randy Haldeman, who said, look, can we do one this one-page script. So, yeah, look, let's go for it. I've got a guy called uh, Dan Franco who was part of the, the, the group to, to colour it. Um, and uh, I think, I can't remember who lettered it, but, but the, the whole thing came together as a nice little package and we, we pitched it on there or posted it onto the, the group and it, it came up and, and people could read it. Um, and from that, I got, Randy's done a story in there. I'm working with Dan on two big pitch things for kind of image and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, that, that's how it came about is we're just kind of meeting through that one group and these guys, we stayed in touch and and that was it, all, all, yeah, all down the pub and after, a, I think, London Super Comic Con meeting Pete Woods and, you know, you, 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 know, you use Pete Woods before and we just sort of, you know, talking and that was kind of it. It's, it I don't know, it's kind of fallen about, fallen into place quite naturally, I guess, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's a bit... Or is it because you've actively gone out and networked where maybe in a, another career you wouldn't network? Yeah, could yeah. be, yeah. Right, so I like this idea of meeting people out in the comic community go into those comic conventions regularly, bumping into your god, there's always someone out there who want to be artist, want to be writer. Imagine pubs always a great place, isn't it? Oh, or yeah. check out your local graffiti scene as well, local graffiti yeah. artists. Mm. They're all comic book fans, they're very much inspired. There's a whole lot of artists out there, absolutely untapped and untouched. Mm. You tend to find it's very different though, because somebody you can draw like an amazing portrait of someone can't do sequentials yeah. to save the line. Yeah. So it's like having like because it's all about the flow from panel to panel and then having a recognisable character from one panel to the next and all of that kind of thing. So it's, it is like a very specific talent, but it's all about networking. Coming to cons as regular as possible, isn't it, is, is the best way to do it, especially if you like a drink. creators, <laughs> anyway, say some people in this uh, community, in this career path, that can be quite quiet. Mm. The comics, the job, yeah, it? comics tend to be the, the, the avenue they go down to express themselves, and you know, yeah. it's, it's something that they can do whether they're writing or, or um, an artist. But it is very heavily in favour of artists as, as writers. It's very heavily weighed that we go looking for artists. I, I've only ever seen one occasion where an artist has been looking for a writer. So <laughs> it is the harder side of the wall to be to be coming at, at, at comics, but. With Phil, I literally put something on Facebook as, as I got the story in my head. Facebook, anybody knowing any artists. Got lots back, but a lot of people know who can someone who can draw well compared to someone who's unbelievable and, and, and is really good. And Phil has got a very big comic background. He loves comics. He'd never written, uh, drawn one before, but he's, he's had that education of reading comics all his life, so he knows about panels. He knows about what sort of shots and scenes you can do. So if you've got somebody like that who's got a background as well, not just an artist who's never done comics... I think you're uh, you're onto a bit of a winner there, but it is it is difficult. Purely networking, go out for a few beers, come to these. It's get business cards, show them what you've done, anything like that definitely helps. Another question about Sid. Um, artists, <laughs> yeah, so, money, um, yeah, money. <laughs> um, so, like with ALV two, we kickstarted it, 
Uh, it got successfully funded about halfway through last year, so then I gave us like six months. So I said it'll be February sometime, and then we went away and started working on it because nothing of the book had been done. Because obviously, like the way we're working it is, I pay the artist and then I pay the colorist and all that kind of thing. So it's the release dates definitely depend on just when the work comes in. It does for me anyway. It's quite difficult to schedule at this yeah, level, isn't you, it? You've got you've got to be realistic as well because. Um, Apart from Chris, he's got a full-time job as a parent, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, working as well, you've got, to, you've got to factor in your real life as well. Um, I've got a family, I've got two young children, I work full-time as well. And in my mind, I go, right, yeah, I've got that down, it'll be two months, two months, no problem at all. But in reality, um, I, think, I think between Brethren Born 1 and 2, it took a, a year for Brethren Born to come out initially through the Kickstarter. And I, I, uh, we successfully funded in the May, it came out in the October. So we're talking nearly six months really there. We had a bit of a faster turnaround because that's all I was doing for Brethren Born 2. And there was around about a six or seven month turnaround from start to finish. So almost half the time. But because of other work that I've been writing for the comics and other anthologies, real work changed a little bit as well. It's been, all, well, it'll be another year between two and three. So you've got to be realistic. What you want in your heart will never be what is actually happening in real life. Even some of the big guys, you know, the big yeah, boys as well. Um, one, I bought uh, a comic called Young Terrorists by Black Mask, and I, I, I think I subscribed through Forbidden Planet or something like that. And they said, "Yeah, issue two is coming out in two months." Over twelve months before issue two came out, and it came out recently. So obviously they have issues as well. I think if there's a, a dispute between the art team or the writers, it can all kick off, and it happens with Marvel and DC as well. Um, Did you read uh, America's Got Powers? Jonathan Ross yes, and yeah, yeah. Brian yeah. Hitch, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Brian Hitch, yeah. yeah, there was massive gaps in between <coughs> those two. And I just that, pulled that down to Brian Hitch's Yeah, that's rate. what they said, yeah. They said it was just his work rate, so it's, it, it's the team, basically. You've, all, you've got to work together. You have got to keep slapping your artist every now and again yeah. just to make sure he's <laughs> still on course and that kind of thing. Because he was a writer, Brian Hitch seems to take time over. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. It. yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult difficult one to judge, but you've got to be realistic with it. Do you need those to play more of a part of I'll step back Sometimes I do. I think it's more about, as opposed to like release dates and stuff, you've just got to keep everybody informed that you are actually doing something and just keep like rolling stuff out so they know that stuff's in progress and you're not just sat in your ass twiddling your thumbs and that and it's... I think we found with, with Dark Matter that we, we gave ourselves a year and we said, well, we'll, we'll do that and we'll get everything going. And it was just a, a year-long process. The thing, we were, I was meant to be launching a book today with Chris, but because Chris got ill before Christmas and Christmas and you know, families and, and job and everything else, we just, it's just been put back. So what was meant to be, say, released today is probably going to be kick-started in April, um, just purely because time, yeah. uh, because of real life, you know. I still find it a bit funny that those people with full-time jobs can get comic out more regularly than Image Comic out, for example. I mean, I might be going back to now, he's doing a disservice, but we're talking about you know, people like Brian Hitch, who's, it's the only job he's got, yeah. drawing comics, and I know there's a lot of super detail in there, but there must come a point where, and I gave up after the second issue of Superpowers, did it ever finish? And surely that's going to hurt sales. I think it would, yeah. And, and it's one of, the, one of the critiques you get in the small press is that People love what you do, and they say, you know, when's the next one? And if you say 12 months, that's quite a long time for people to forget about you. 
Um, so it is. It, it can be difficult. But I think ego, like you say, I think you've got to have a little bit of ego to do it in the first place, to give you that kickstart up the arse and say, right, you know, get out and do it. But then that ego needs to be strong enough to take any criticism as well. Because as soon as you put it out there, you are going to get people to give it some stick, you know, whether they're going to slag it off or they give it, you know, a real good review. You've got to have that ego shield up as well. Because if you, if you let what certain people say, you never do it ever again. Um, so you've got to be prepared. So you've, you've got to have a little bit of ego. Yeah, it just were, depends how big it is. We were talking about this in the pub the other week. It's, it's quite a difficult position to be in to know whether you're actually any good or not because you've got to have that personality where if you show it to someone and they hate it because it's so subjective and medium, they might hate it just because it's not their kind of thing or they might think your writing's bad just because they don't like the way you've written it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're bad. But you might be bad and might just be thinking that. Yeah. So it's, it's a constant... Uh, you do need people you trust to be like, now. but yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to process and, and also on that ego. I mean, you mentioned, I think, Jay, that sort of, you know, indirectly that you do collaborate with artists, you're willing to take on board what the artist wants because, as I say, you, all three of you will have an idea the way you want it to look mm. and it's never going to look that way. And so, how, how much would you be willing to take from the artist if you know it's going the right way or how much are you the slave master say no, I want it done this way and there's no other way other than the highway um, it, it just comes down to that level of collaboration really when, when I first wrote Brethren Born it was very every panel I described so, in so much detail and it wasn't until I got to the end of it I realised it was a good thing because me and I, I didn't know Phil I, I, only, I knew his brother and we'd spoke on the phone a few times but you know, I didn't know him, so I wanted to make sure he got all the details. Um, and my process has changed slightly since then by not putting as much detail. It's still they're still quite detailed panels and quite a detailed script, but then you've got to trust the the, the artist. I all, I also make it quite personal to the artist now, so they're the only person who's really going to see that raw script. So I actually speak to them during the script. So um, I'm writing with a guy, uh, doing a, a book with a guy called Grant Richards at the minute. Um, fabulous artist, absolutely amazing. Um, and I talk to him, so this could be a doozy, Grant. Um, can you make it, this happen? It's going to be a battle scene. And I'll actually talk to him through the script rather than making it really unpersonal, generic, and who, who could be for anyone. And I've found artists respond to that. They'll put something in. They might take a panel away. They might add a panel. They might come out at a different angle. But my brain probably works a little bit different to them. And they're the artistic ones. And if it works... And 99 times out of 100, it always does. Um, just let him, let him go for it. It's that collaboration process, yeah. really. So, do you, I mean, you mentioned, do you meet regularly as a sort of group of people? And Joe, I'm assuming you still live in Manchester, do you? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned sort of being in the pub. Do you try and get together and sort of get those creative juices flowing? We did a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, you guys came to mine. We went for a curry and something to drink and a few drinks and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it that kind of collaboration then that sort of spurs you on? Because things like this, I'll go home from this going right, really fired up and that something. Is that something you feel needs to happen? I know it is happening sort of organically, but do you think that needs to happen as well to, to keep you sane, to keep you on the straight and narrow? And again, going back to this idea of being in an isolated process, I'm sure there's times you think, this is, I'm not getting this done, 
every, right. every really single project, going. every single project. You get about halfway through and you'll think, this is just shite. Why am I even bothering what yeah. we're doing? But you've just got to get through it to the end. And then once you manage to get a bit of perspective, you realise, yeah, you are actually doing going down the right track of what you wanted and that kind of thing. And it is a collaborative medium. You need to be working with somebody, uh, obviously in terms of artwork and lettering and colours and everything else. But in, in terms of just going about it, I think, you know, um, meeting people and, and becoming friends with people naturally through what you're doing so um, you know sending scripts to people eventually and sort of saying well what do you think and getting a third person perspective on it because you know otherwise you kind of like you say you're sort of sitting in your room and you kind of right away you, you're creating something you think oh this, this is shit but, but um, if you send it to somebody else that you trust they'll come back to you and then, again that's that's the point of you know, it's not just about creating collaborative it's, it's about sort of you know the whole process it's just I think it's important as well because especially when you write for your first time, I don't know whether you guys are ever going to do it or you're going to get something out there, but if you're the writer and you've sent it all away and you're the one who's putting it all together, you're, in, you're the editor as well. And nobody ever puts himself, gives them the credit of editor. You look at everything that Image do, DC, Marvel, all, even the smaller indies, they've all got editors. They've all got somebody to go, right, that works, that doesn't work, you need That's to do that. editors as well sometimes. Exactly, exactly. They've got a huge team, whereas it's pretty much going to be just you. Yeah doing this so having this network of people that you know you can trust who'll tell you actually this is a bit crap or mm. you need to do this that the, con- the continuity in this isn't working it's an absolute godsend so the book that I'm writing at the moment with Marcosia I'm going to be sending to Chris and I'll give him a credit in, in the book there'll be a credit in there saying whether we say consulting editor or head editor or writer <laughs> he'd probably rewrite it for me we haven't talked about percentages yet um <laughs> But having a different pair of eyes looking at your work, making sure it does work, for me, from now on, is vital. Didn't have that to begin with. So it's, it's a big, big tip, I think, that one. So moving on to the process, then. Um, I'm going to start with you, Chris, because obviously you are a full-time <laughs> house husband, which is a full-time job. It is a profession, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I'm, I am going to say, you know, if anything, yours is more of a flexi-time one, where maybe you've got... Can you actually have a schedule that you can stick to having a hectic life like that? And how do you go about it? Do you set yourself deadlines? Do you keep yourself over not reaching those deadlines? How do you go about it, Chris? It's, yeah, deadlines. Setting deadlines for, for when I need to be able to get something done. So, so, for example, by the end of January, I needed to get something done for Comic Cast that, that I'm, I'm working on. So I said, end of January, that's, that's going to be done. Um, and I, it's basically just a case of either manipulating time or actually sitting down in the chair and doing it um, and if I don't do it yeah I get really pissed off at myself but um, yeah it, it depends on, on my kids really because um, before you know, where are we yeah before Christmas um, I had a couple of days a week where my little lad was going like, full time into nursery um, so I, I had those two days and I would sit and I'd get loads done but since January um, he's only going in the morning so I get like two and a half hours which to really sit down and get into something is really really tough so by the time you get back and you, know, so you have a coffee and, and you yeah. spend five hours scrolling Facebook and then you go, oh yeah, actually maybe I should sit and do something. But it, it's it, having that small amount of time has made me go, right, I really need to sit down and, and, and do it. But then in the afternoon, I, I sort of take him out and not go to the zoo or whatever. But then in the evenings, I, I'll, I'll sort of sit down and, and, and do a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, but it's just it's, yeah, it's just scheduling the time and yeah. what's what's kind of realistic. I support partners, I imagine. As well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's, she really is. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I couldn't do any of this. You know. I suppose the same, same vice versa because she's, um, she's a teacher as well. So, um, you know, the amount of time that she, you know, 
and she's in at seven and she, she comes back at seven so it's kind of the amount of time that, that really yeah yeah so it's, it's so we, you know, we, we compliment I guess each other on that front I guess she, she gives me the time I give her the time and, yeah, it's, yeah so. Jay I'm going to come to you um, how do you do it how do you juggle life work life and life in general with great difficulty with most passion. of the time yeah um, I'm quite lucky. My job involves a lot of travelling, so I'll be in the car for maybe three or four hours a day like, at a minimum. So I've basically got drag and dictate on my phone, so I'll be sat in traffic talking to myself for the whole journey, and you can get so much done, and then you get home, plug it into the computer, and it transcribes it on there for you. And then basically it just becomes an editing process. What's that piece of software called, please? It's um, drag and dictate. It's a, ne- a nuanced drag and dictate, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so I do pretty much all of my stuff while I'm driving. So it's it saves a hell of a lot wow. of time. Yeah, that's, that's good fun. Really that sounds like it's, it's a dream just, job. It does. You, yeah, I started off feeling really awkward, and I was talking like this into it. But then after about half an hour, I was doing all the voices, getting into the action. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I look like a maniac while I'm doing it. <laughs> that's, a very, yeah, that's a very good process, isn't it? So mm. actually finding the voice of those characters. It's quite interesting as well because if. Um, Say I'm doing something else around the house while I'm at, while it's actually transcribing. It'll be playing in the background, so I'll hear it again back, and then I'll be able to think, no, actually, this should go there. Shouldn't do that. That's not going to work later on because of this, that, and the other. And it's it's a nice way of doing a second draft while it's still writing the first, and it's it works really, really well. I did the book doing it, so you right, read right. it can decide. Yeah. <laughs> Does it lend itself better to prose than to comic? Right, do you think that kind um, of, uh, well, no, not process. really, because you can give it instructions like skip this line, um, speech, and all that kind of thing, and it'll put all of the uh, put all the relative commas in and all that kind of stuff. So it's it helps our scripting as well. John, I'm assuming your work must be shift work. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm in the fire service full time. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and I've recently, well, in the summer, I went back to getting back on the actual fire engine. So I work two days and two nights, and four days off. Yeah. Having both my children at school now is is amazing anyway. <laughs> um, but it gives me nine till three o'clock to rise. But it is it is a process. You've got to rev yourself up. You've got to get those creative mm-hmm. juices going. And make yourself, I've got a bit of a routine. So when I come home, make myself a cup of tea, put the laptop on. Yeah. And just recently, I've started turning off the internet on, on link on the computer it's because it is... Yeah. <laughs> Such a distraction because I, I use it for research purposes. You know, the, you know, in, in the in yeah, the, we'll call it research. Purposes. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at the internet history. Don't I'll do that. Um, like <laughs> but uh, uh, for, so there's some historical people within the Brethren Bourne uh, story. So I make sure I've got the facts right. So if anyone really does want to go back and have a look at things, so I use it for that. But social media, those sort of things, really do take over if you, if you let them. Plus, you do need them. To get the word out, so I use Facebook, Twitter, um, what else? Uh, LinkedIn, those sort of things to spread the word. But I try and say, right, the last two hours of the day is admin, social media, talking to artists, okay, sending yeah. emails. The rest of the day, I try and use it as, and almost set it up as a working day. So from nine to one, I'm going to be writing, having my lunch, and then I'll do admin until I have to go and get the girls. So it's it's having that discipline. Compartmentalising the day. Yeah. 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 So you are working, but if you enjoy it, it's not really working. Apparently, Leonardo da Vinci did that as well. Every hour of his day was accounted for. Every single hour. <laughs> I did. That was, they, I don't know how much time he spent on Facebook then. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, that sort of 
prescription. And what I'm hearing is whether it's four hours in a car or whether it's sort of more fluid approach, but making sure you do certain hours a day. Yeah. Um, I like that idea. Yeah. It, it seems to be working. Yeah, it must be tough for people who do work a full nine till five or seven till seven to mm. come home, deal with the kids, put them to bed, have your dinner. And by the time you've done that, it's half nine, ten o'clock. And I know Chris is a bit of a, a night owl, but by mm. ten o'clock most days, I'm just heads down, I just want to go to bed. So for people who've got those sort of shift patterns, it must be very difficult. I don't know how they manage it. Also depends on mood as well. I think like, you responded to a post, didn't you? The, uh, it might have been a couple of weeks ago on Facebook. Someone's saying, um, asking for advice about writing, and they said, what is a good like page output per day, per week, or that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I think course, you yeah. responded by saying, like, some days I'll write two lines, and then I won't be feeling it, so I'll just put it away. Other days I'll write six pages in an hour, and it'll be a, the most amazing thing that I've come up with in weeks. So it all depends where your head is at the time. Mm-hmm. So if you're not feeling it and you're trying to force it, then it's just terrible. Do you not really restrict yourself by saying, I've got to do mm-hmm. this much every day? Yeah. So it's not as formula as a maths problem. Two a day, every day. Not the way I do it, right. anyway. <laughs> it might like come you're across. You're not going to sort of go to bed feeling really sad if you haven't mm. achieved yeah. what you have done. Well, that's the bonus of not having Definitely. real deadlines as well. Like your, your question earlier, we're, we're not working for anybody else apart from ourselves. It's We're the writers, we're the first part of that process. So it doesn't really matter what the artist is doing. Unless I've written something down, it doesn't matter because the artist hasn't got anything to write to. So that's the probably the, one of the advantages of being small press, not having a boss and only working to your own deadlines. If you're obviously professional, like some of the guys out there, listen to the work rate they've got to do. I was talking to um, Christian Walgoose a couple of weeks, well, it was at Nottingham, I've got a tab next to, and he's just doing Batgirl, he's been taken on by DC and he's writing Batgirl. And the deadlines and the work rate he's having to put out is just unbelievable. And this is just the writing side of it? No, he's, he's the oh, artist. Sorry, the art he's the main artist for that and he, his work is incredible anyway, but He's a very detailed artist, and he, mm. he was almost saying he's having to rein back, not as put as much detail as he'd like, purely because of the deadline. Yeah. And he wasn't enjoying it at that point because it was the first one, because it was just so intense. So you've got your deadline, three weeks, you've got to pull out a whole, let's say, 15, 16 page of sequential artwork. You've done that for three weeks, and all of a sudden you've got another deadline because you've got to do the next month or the, yeah. or, or the next one along, and then you're on another three week deadline. So he said the, the pressure and stress must be. Uh, well, it is very... Well, I remember seeing a lot of John Bacema stuff from a similar age growing up in the 80s. I thought it wasn't that great. I thought, but then I remember seeing the stuff he did in his own time when he had the time. It was Frank Frazetta quality. Mm-hmm. And you realise at some moment, if you're doing the interiors of the comics, something yeah. has to give. And in John Bacema's case, it was that detail that, mm-hmm. that you know, he was, he was established anyway, but it's that detail mm-hmm. that... Mm-hmm. It's almost very rare for those guys to be doing more than six issues on a book as well, because yeah, they almost get burnout. If you if you story, look yeah. at most DC Marvels, they'll do between six issues av- on average. There's some who are obviously doing it forever. Mm. Charlie Adlard on Walking Dead, obviously he's been been there forever. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. DC and Marvel, they tend to swap the artists every six issues yeah. because there's burnout. There's you know they, they must be absolutely under the cost. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, crackers, yeah. Absolutely, crackers. crackers. That Dan Dideo, or whatever his name is, yeah. apparently he likes chaos and thinks that breeds creativity. So it's literal just chaos, isn't it? I mean, everybody, they're turning over artists and writers every few right. months, aren't they? I think I know that they're going back to sort of going monthly on a lot of these books. Obviously, yeah. it's not worth because if you're anything like me, I'd like to drop off them. Yeah, big time. Buying two Superman a month and not reading them, at least one Superman <laughs> six months of money. 
Well, yeah, yeah, but from a story point of view, it's great being a fan of DC at the moment, or, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Getting back to then, maybe how you get it, because we've mentioned sort of anthologies, you've all touched on anthologies, you know, you two work with, uh, with Comic House. If you were getting into comics again for the first time, would you go through the anthology process first, where, particularly with Pete's gene pool on, he'll choose the artist for you. Mm -hmm. You might even get a famous artist to do a cover job. You know, oh, yeah. That'd be amazing, yeah. Hey, that would be, wouldn't it? That would be but, amazing. I mean, that must have been a great... I mean, John had one of his characters on Comic House, issue number three, three. I want to say, done by Carlos Esquez. Um, Esquizera, I was going to say, Judge Dredd artist. Mm -hmm. That must have been quite a moment for yeah, you. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, it, was, it was probably this time last year that he was talking about it, and we knew he was going to be on board for the actual um, anthology series. Mm. Um, and Pete had said, uh, we're going to use Suit and Boot for one of the covers. I was like, oh, that's amazing. You know, having that anyway is, yeah. is amazing. Um, and then when they started floating around Glyn Fabry and John McRae and Carlos Esquiero, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then I think it was just before we went to uh, one of the Birmingham Comic Festivals, he contacted me and said, listen, um, Carlos is going to be drawing your character, which is like, t just totally blew me away. It's like having, I don't know, you writing a, um, a script for a, a movie and somebody saying Tom Cruise is going to play the part, or Brad Pitt, you know, it's one of those kind of moments, If you know, if you're a big fan of Esquiera like I, I am. Um, oh, Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> he was, was cool at me. Denzel Washington, something like that, that would be amazing. Um, so, yeah, that, that was um, a huge moment, um, and, you know, it was... When I, I told my wife, and she was like, mm, wasn't really, <laughs> yeah. don't even know what you're on about, John. So it, you, I was telling the certain people who actually would know that was a pretty big deal. Not a pretty big deal. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was amazing. Um, but, yeah, for, for, for getting into comics and trying to do something like that, I think anthologies are definitely the way to do it. I, I, I didn't start off like that. I wish I had. I would have definitely got to know these guys a lot quicker. Um, but it's, you've got to have some stories in your back pocket right. to make sure the right yeah. one gets to the right publisher. Jay, what's your thoughts on anthologies? Would you go through the anthology route first and foremost, then branch off on, on your own? Or? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it gives you uh, a lot of experience with, with writing. It's a much deeper learning curve, especially if you've only got like um, six pages or even Four. less. Yeah. yeah, that's it, to do an entire story. So it's got to have like a, a build-up and then a payoff within those set pages. And then it gives you experience with scripting, with working with an artist, with what you can expect to get back from whatever you've written, how much detail you need to put in. And it's, it's a much steeper learning curve, because say over a book, I mean, ALV, it started off as written as six issues, and now it's dropped down to four with an additional two, so it's a four and a two for the first run. And there's a hell of a lot more stuff that you can do, and you can spread it out a lot more, and you can have fight scenes going on over ten pages, whereas anthologies, it's always got to be like a very more compact and everything. It's, it's very different, but like I say, it's a much steeper learning curve and it helps you get to know stuff better. And then there's the networking, like you say, afterwards as well, getting to know everybody. It's, it's, it's the 2018 at the moment, they are asking for four pages. Yeah. So if you can tell a story in four pages, that you know, beginning, middle, end, and, you know, and a twist ending or a payoff, then you know, if, you, if, you, if you can do that and you do enough, mm. then you sort of, that's, that's your story mechanic. So like, like Jay said, if you've got 24 pages, then you can just go to town yeah. because you kind of open up and let it breathe a lot more than, than, than you used to. So I definitely, I'd, I'd start, I'd, I'd do this again, you know, from, from the beginning of Dark Matter, um, you know, submitting to, uh, to stuff like Future Quake, 100% biodegradable, yeah. all these guys, you know, absolutely. Yeah. 
the good thing is if you apply to loads of big anthologies and they all say no, <coughs> you've got a hell of a lot of story to do your own anthology yeah, at the end of the year. That's why I've got Matt account about there's a lot of 2000 AD submissions because I started sending them off to them and obviously it was like, no, 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 so that was fine. But a lot of that went into, into the first Dark Matter, you know. I mean, they, do, they still have their open submission policy, I suppose, so you're going yeah. to expect, I suppose, if you're, if you're running a system like that, I suppose the quality they're expecting suddenly goes one step higher because they're getting so many, I mean, I saw it at Thought Bubble back in November, the amount of people coming up, and the amount of people who are getting it wrong, it's, it's, yeah. you can't have hit the falling aliens in a space travel every time, can you? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's that idea of all stories have been told, so how do you keep it original? I'm aware of times, so I'm going to move on to the Kickstarter campaigns that people have used around the table and ask you, is that, is that still a viable process? I mean, I know yours is jumping on, starting on March the 3rd for your third issue. Clearly, you've already built up a base of fans and supporters who I'm assuming you're going to hope are going to come along for a ride. In a world of Kickstarter and all sorts of different crowdfunding, um, is that still a viable way of getting your own comic out there? And that's open to anyone and everybody. I think so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but both issue one and two of Brethren Born were kickstarted. Um, issue three is going to be kickstarted as well. Um, but it, it all depends on how much work you're going to put into it. If you're willing to put in a lot with the promotion, the pre-promotion, I've already started doing it over the last three, four weeks for Brethren Born three, getting it out there to the past people who've backed it, people yeah. who've read it, people who've bought the conventions. Um, I've started doing an email list now of getting people out there so I can spread the word. Because if you don't do that, if you don't do that pre-promotion, you just press the button on day one and then start your, your promotion. You've only got 30 days to get the word out there and get people on board. Um, it's becoming more and more popular. I think there's around about a 50% success rate on Kickstarter overall for comics, which is slightly dropping. Um, I, was reading, I think there was like a 2 or 3% drop from last year to 2015. Um, and that's people not doing the research. If you research it, you find out. That's how I did it. I contacted a few people I'd seen had had a successful Kickstarter. Asked them a guy called Jeremy Biggs. He's fairly big on the convention yeah. scene. Um, Metal, Made Metal Made Flesh. He, he, he's got a few other books out there. I spoke to him, and he gave me so much information. Um, so I am a, a really big favourite, or a couple of points at least. Um, but it is definitely out there. It's, get, it, it is, it's getting more and more popular. There's groups on Facebook that you can join. One, one on there at a minute called Comics Launch. A guy called Tyler, um, who's American, he runs um, webinars that you can listen to, and, he, and he's got so many facts and figures. I've, I've, I was listening to one just last night, and he's got it down pat. He's they they launched theirs on Thursday, I think it was, or Thursday. What day is it? Yeah, Wednesday or Thursday. They were funded within less than twelve hours, and that was a five thousand dollar target. Wow. They're funded within 12 hours and they're still going on. Because mm -hmm. they've built up over six months they started their promotion. They've built up uh, previous readers, new emails, all this sort of thing. So it's definitely out there, but you've got to put the work in. Mm. And something I'm going to explore, I've not done one, I know obviously these guys haven't have used it, but um, listening to it, it sounds a lot like you get a lot more reach, I think, outside of the kind of small bubble that small press and indie can be. So Kickstarter seems to have that reach that I think perhaps wouldn't get necessarily if you were just sort of you know plugging your stuff on Facebook mm. and Twitter like we have been but yeah it's, it, I think it's I think it's more like having a low because uh, you, you had quite a low um, uh, target didn't you for, for, for your for your book and I think you did as well yeah I think it seems to be having looked into it having a lower target you know you're going to perhaps get more you get funded quicker or mm. guaranteed to get funded 
So, yeah, you, you, you make your target the, the absolute minimum that you yeah. could possibly put a book out for. And if you say, I'm going to print 500 copies, get the quotes, get everything before you do anything from the printers and your artists, work out what your budget is. And whatever it is that you could possibly break even at, mm. in my opinion, that should be your target. Mm. Whatever you make over that, you can then start to add stretch rewards, you can give people early start, bird backing yeah. rewards, things like that. But you've got to, you've got to put the, the, the research in before, and that's the biggest thing. Budget correctly by doing that research, talking to your printers, talking to your artists. And in a nutshell now then, where can these people see you again on the comic convention circuit in the next few months? Jay, I'm going to go to you first, and John can be last. Uh, me and Chris are doing it pretty together all, all year, aren't we? And John's yeah. jumping on with us every now and again. Uh, next one's Liverpool MCM, is I'm, that yeah, right? I'm at Demon Con in Maidstone in February, and yeah. we've got Liverpool MCM. We're going to the new that UK uh, Comic Cruise. Comic thing. Cruise. Going to Comic Cruise. Day and not Holland. Um, I can't remember where we're going. Anyway, Dutch Somewhere Comic Dutch, Con. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going there. Um, we've got. In the end of April's that Birmingham Comic Con. Oh, and you at that one? Yeah, in Edgbaston. Edgbaston, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, go to the after party, it's well worth it, it's quality. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, Oldham Comic Con is another one. Yes, yeah, so we've got, we got there's like literally two, mm. two, every, two every month. Like I say, get out there, do it. I've never seen a sad face at a Comic Con, so clearly it's the energy, it's the enjoyment, mm. and knowing that it's your creative stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for giving me the time today, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming along, guys. Thank you.